I'm, I'm just here to help. All right, if you got your Bibles, open up 2 Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> and we're going we're gonna to take a look at the end of the northern kingdom tonight. So, do you ever wonder if God ever gets finished with somebody? You know, like, I have finally gone too far, or they have finally gone too far, or... Certainly the Bible tells us that there's a time where we enter into a place of, of judgment, where God's judgment falls. You know, his, he says, I will not always strive with man. Remember back in the book of Genesis, as uh, Genesis chapter 6, it tells us that the thoughts of men were evil continually. And God said, I will not always strive with man. He gave man 120 years from that point, and, and then the flood came. And I think about those things, and as we look at 2 Kings chapter 17, we come to a, a point in the history after Solomon. Remember Solomon? He started out so good. He started out pretty solid with the Lord. He started out uh, getting a blank check from God and, and writing on that blank check, I want wisdom to rule your people. Now God said, no strings attached, whatever you want, you can have. He asked for wisdom to lead, and so God gave him wisdom but the Lord also in his word told him about three pitfalls. And those three pitfalls were not to multiply wives for yourself, not to multiply horses, and not to multiply gold. And those three things we know Solomon did. He had so many horses, he couldn't even build enough stables to hold them. He had so much gold that they stopped counting it. And he had way too many wives. Way too many. 700 wives, 300 concubines. And as we look at that, you know, majority of those wives, they probably saw him one time. Uh, whenever he made the deal with whatever country they were a part of, and the deal would always be to, to sire a child through, through this other king's daughter so that their two nations would have peace, he did that and... And he just kept doing it, and he kept adding more and more and more. What we know in first, first Kings, first Kings chapter 11, it tells us that Solomon had so many wives, they turned his heart away from God. And in the end, he starts worshiping all these false gods. When he dies, he turns over the kingdom to, to his son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was not wise like his dad, didn't really care as much about a relationship with God, focused on what God wanted to do or how God wanted to work. So, so Rehoboam decides to tax the people more. They rebel. God, through a prophet, chose Jeroboam to, to lead the ten northern tribes and to take them and set up a, another kingdom in the divide. God said, I'll give them to you. He said, Jeroboam, I'll give them to you. All you got to do is follow in the same steps like David did. You know, be a man after God's own heart. First thing that Jeroboam did was realize, well, here we are in the north, and if all my people keep going south to worship, some of them are going to stay down there. They're going to say, we like Jerusalem. I'm going to lose people. So I'm going to set up a different religious system. And I'm going to control the people through an alternate religious system. So he built two calves made out of gold. He put one in... Uh, in Dan, and one, why do I want to say Bethel, is it right? 
Shiloh? I'll have to think on that. Anyways, he put two of them. And he said, these golden calves are the God that took you out of, took you out of Egypt. And so they began to worship there. And he started to mix all this other junk in. The devil's tried to do that his whole life, hadn't he? Have you ever talked to somebody who's involved in some type of cult or some kind of ism? And when you sit down and talk, we all sound like we're talking about the same thing. Have you ever experienced that? We think we're, we're saying the same words. We're, we're using some of the same vernacular. But the devil mixes in just enough truth so that people can hear the truth of it with just enough poison to make sure it's not salvific. That's a fancy sounding word to mean he takes enough of the truth out so he can't get saved. What Jesus said in John chapter 7, right? Except you believe that I am eternal God, you will die in your sins. So that's a big issue, right? If he's just an angel or if he's something else other than eternal God, then, then that creates a, a, a problem in regard to salvation. So you see the same thing happen with Jeroboam. Mix in a little bit of this other stuff. Mix in a little bit of lie. Mix in a little bit of other things and we'll keep the people here and they'll worship. That sin that Jeroboam started lasted the whole history of Israel. Until tonight, when Israel ceases to exist. So, that was a struggle for them all along. And yet, God sent his prophets. And yet, God would send his truth. And yet, God would reach out. And yet, God would... God is... Far more patient than you and I, isn't he? And God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine, right? By the power that works in me, in you. That's the, that's the tool that God functions in today. He functions in you and me. We sing songs sometimes about being his hands and feet or kind of grasping that concept. So often we're looking around for an, a miracle and certainly God is able to do a miracle. He's able to do the miraculous. But I think we miss the boat when we don't look around and say, Lord, how can I be a part of that thing you need to do? How can I be a part of reaching out to this person? How can I be a part of your plan in this situation? Because last I checked, the Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit dwells within my temple, me, in my body. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. So we have that, we have that ability and that opportunity if we'll utilize it. So did the northern tribe, but for all their years, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't. Tonight we see the end come in verse 1 of chapter 17. It says, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah. Ahaz is in the south. He's in Judah. Remember two tribes? South, ten tribes north. The division, not down the middle. The people who cared about God and serving and worshiping God all were in Judah. The people who really didn't care about God and despised that and wanted to live their own way, they moved north. So don't get the idea in your head that the, all of the ten tribes are north and all any more than you could say in the United States, you know, that 
that we all live in the states we were born in. We don't, right? We start someplace, we drift here and there. The same way with the tribes, represent, representative of all 12 tribes, north and south. So, the northern kingdom, they get this king, Hosea. Hosea, the son of Elah, became king in Israel, in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. Now, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. So he's bad, but he's not as bad as the people who went before him. He's still going to follow in the same kind of concepts. He's still going to try to deliver by his own might and, and his own intelligence. And that's going to land them at the end. Hosea is the last king of Israel. Israel ceases to be under his leadership. Verse 3 it says, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him. And Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute. So, Assyria is the power of the day. They're the world power. And as they come against Israel, Israel knows they're whooped. So they just give in. Shalmaneser, he allows Hosea to stay on the throne. And Hosea pays tribute. Just like, remember when Solomon was king? All these other nations were sending tribute to him. And so the same thing's going on. Assyria is the new... uh, superpower on the block and so that's what's going on israel is paying tribute but in verse 4 it says the king of assyria uncovered a conspiracy by hosea for he had sent messengers to so king of egypt and brought no tribute to the king of assyria as he had done year by year therefore the king of assyria shut him up and bound him in prison so hosea tried to get themselves out of this situation So he tries to make a deal with Egypt. He tries to go to Egypt and make a a plan that's going to help them overcome Assyria. He looks for help into the typical place where people look for help still today. Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world. And so he's looking to the world to deliver him from the hand of judgment that had come from God. The hand of judgment from God was there. Assyria is there. They're going to be there. They're going into captivity. Countless prophets have already spoken about it. But he goes to the world to try to solve the problem. And it doesn't ever solve the problem. When we go to the world to solve the problem, especially a spiritual problem, all we find ourselves is in deeper bondage. And that's exactly what happens to Hosea. He tries to solve the problem. He goes to the world. Where does he end up? Now he's not a king anymore. Now he's just a prisoner in chains in Assyria. And Shalmaneser, he's going to conquer. He's going to destroy. Look what happens. It says in, in, uh, in verse 5, Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. Now since the time of Ahab, Samaria was made a fortress. And it was a strong enough fortress to withstand the power of the then world empire for three years. For three years they came against Syria, and for three years Syria held, but then that was it. At the end of three years, it tells us, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away, and placed them in Chalah, and by Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. And that's the end 
of the north. Listen, when we, 135 years from this point, the south is going to go into captivity to Babylon. And we'll hear about the south being released and coming back into the land. The north is never released again. They're just gone. They go to Assyria and Assyria assimilates them. Assimilates them into their nation. Look what it says in verse 7. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. Here's the list of the issues between God and his people. One, they had feared other gods. The Bible says, and in fact, the Lord raised a challenge to them. And he said, go look and see if it's true that people would exchange the God they serve for other gods. You want to ask me about a a proof, some kind of a concept of how we can know for sure that that Christianity is real and other things are false. Well, that's one of my proofs. That's one of them. If I'm the devil, I'm only going to counterfeit the true. And if I'm trying to sway people, if I got them in something else, I'm more than happy to leave them there nice and warm and toasty. Just hang out. You want to be a Buddhist? Be a Buddhist. Buddhists don't have a problem with nobody. You want to be involved in a false religious system? Be involved in a false religious system. It's great. But there's one. There's one religious system that's kind of interesting because it seems like there's always an issue about converting them, getting them out. The Lord said, my people will give up the truth for a lie seven days a week. You look at those other gods, the gods of the Assyrians, they don't leave them. Look at the gods of the Babylonians, they don't leave them. But my people leave me. He wrote a whole book, a whole prophet he sent with a, with a challenge prophet's name is Hosea. And he said to Hosea, Hosea, go marry a wild woman. Ah, That's not exactly right. But that's the basic concept. He says, Hosea, go and attach yourself, marry a prostitute. And so he married her, but she wouldn't stay faithful. She would go away. And God would say to Hosea, Go get your wife. And he'd go get his wife and bring her back. And God said, you tell the people, this is a picture of me and them. Because they won't stay faithful to me. But I keep coming back. I keep wanting them back. I don't want them to see them destroyed. I don't want to see them suffer. I want to see them safe. So Hosea lived that his whole life. You think you got a bum deal? Hosea's whole life. You don't want to be one of God's prophets. Ezekiel, his wife died and God said, don't mourn. Don't stop. Don't even think about it. 
you just keep serving. Tell the people that this will become a picture of them when they go into captivity. Nobody's going to mourn for them. Just like you don't mourn for your wife. What? Yeah. Whenever God lays his responsibility on someone, whenever God calls them in a special way, there's always a little bit of a price in that. For example, you and I, God doesn't get us for free, right? I don't think so. Could be, though. Could be. He doesn't get us for free. How does he get us? By the blood of his son, right? Who was crucified from the foundation of the world. In the beginning. Man. I don't think we're ever really going to fathom the price. That God was willing to pay for us. So we have these people who are constantly fearing other gods. Going to other gods. But not to the Lord God Almighty. Not to the one who had proven himself time and time and time again. To him. They didn't fear. Verse 8 says, And you walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. Instead of following the Ten Commandments, the commandments that God had given, they began to follow the commandments of the other nations. Rather than being a source of preservation in a land and being an example of the truth of God, instead they were infected By the sin around them. By the stuff that was all around them. They got infected by that. And it affected their lives. Pretty soon you couldn't tell a difference. Between them and the Canaanites. I'm always challenged by the concept. Is there a difference in my life than anybody else? If I'm walking through the mall. Is there anything different. About me that would cause people to know there's something he's not like everybody else. Because isn't that how God calls us to be? He says, be a light on top of a hill. That's obvious, right? He calls us to be salt. Have you ever reached out for something wondering if it was salt and put it in your mouth? If it's salt, do you know? Right away, right? Instantly you understand, oh, that's salt. That's what he, he calls us to be. That, and that attitude, what the number one thing that the Lord said would be evident in your life and mine is love. They will know you are my disciples by the way you love each other. That's our call. When the world looks at the church, is that how they define the church? Is that the group of people that love each other? Or have we become the group of people who bicker with each other? Or that group of people who can't get along? But the Lord said that would be the, atti- the prevailing attitude. That there would be love. Is there still a difference? Is there a distinction between us and the world? For them... There was no distinction. No distinction in their life. They walked just like everybody around them. Verse 9 says, Also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord, their God, things that were not right. Oops. Did you ever think you got away with that thing in the dark? What did God just say? Oh, and they did things against me in secret. 
But God sees it all, doesn't he? He sees it all. Look, we cannot, we can fake, you can fake me out, you, people fake me out every day. You can fake out anybody else, but you are never going to fake out God. God knows the truth of where your heart is. And if our heart doesn't belong to him, he knows it. Look at the next thing he said. So he, he told us they feared other gods, so they went to other gods rather than to him. They walked in the laws of the world, but not in God's laws. They had secret sin that God saw, for they had high places in all their cities from watchtower to fortified city. That means everywhere they went, there were those high places. We talked about those, right? High places. Anything that raises itself against God. High places where they would go pray and worship whatever they wanted to pray and worship. But that should be the Lord. But there's a lot of things that maybe we have in our life that is a high place. Something that raises itself up against God. And God wants us to tear all those high places down. And be all in. Nobody likes a hypocrite, right? But if we're honest, well... If you live in this world, you're a hypocrite. If that offends you, then you're definitely a hypocrite. (laughs) We all have hypocrisy in our life. But one of the challenges for a believer is to be a believer who lives on the outside, what he says with his mouth. To come into church and to sing songs and raise our hands and praise the Lord and the And to say the things we say in a song and then to go out into the world and live our life wild and free like God doesn't exist is a height of hypocrisy. There should be a distinction, right? Something different. Something that's different about us compared to everybody else. And the way we walk, and the way we talk, and the things we do. Next, he says, they set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill under every green tree. Sacred pillars. Basically what he's talking about is phallic symbols. Phallic symbols they would carve out of trees or wood. And those were the places that they would practice sexual immorality. So, he's specifically talking about the sexual immorality within his people. This is their sexual immorality. Now think about the church. Shouldn't that part be different in the church? And we tell ourselves lies that the devil whispers in our ear, like, you know, this is a 21st century. We don't do things like they used to do in the old days. Yeah, you're right, we don't. That don't mean we're right. The church today is a mirror image of the world. The divorce rate in the church is exactly the same as the divorce rate in the world. The amount of people within the church who are currently wrapped up in a sexually immoral lifestyle is the same as it is in the world. There's no distinction. Well, there ought to be a distinction, a difference. 
between God. Not that God's people are perfect. Not that God's people don't mess up. Sure, that happens. And when we mess up, there's forgiveness. I'm just saying there ought to be a distinction, right? A distinction that, that this book, can, which contains the wisdom of Solomon, and if only he had listened to it all, he might have been better off. If we live by this book, people ridicule it. They go to the ridiculous. You cannot live by this book says not to eat shellfish, for crying out loud. If you eat a shellfish, you're a horrible sinner and you need to be put to death. Okay, first, it doesn't say if you eat shellfish, you've got to be put to death. Second, that was a ceremonial law, dietary issue between God and Israel. So if you are Israel, then you're not supposed to eat shellfish. Well, last I checked... Nobody here was born in Israel. You may have Jewish roots, but you're not Israel. You're not the ones to whom the law was given. So does that mean we, we cut and paste out of this and we take what we want? In the book of Acts, Peter had a dream. You guys remember the dream of Peter? Peter has a dream, and the sheet comes down, and that sheet comes down. Remember what God said? God said, Peter, look. And he said, all kinds of animals, every kind, clean and unclean, every animal under the sky. And God said to Peter, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, no. I'll never eat something unclean. And God said, whatever I have, what's the word he used? Cleansed, made clean. Do not call common. Whatever I have made clean. So the Lord has lifted ceremonial law. You know, every time Jesus was accused of breaking the law, what law they accused him of breaking? Ceremonial law. Thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath. It doesn't say that in the Bible. That's man's tradition. But... That's the things that he was charged with. Bible says if your child is disobedient, kill it. We can't be governed by such things. The Bible says, kill your child. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible tells us, in order to bring about a sentence of death on any, you have to have two or three witnesses. You know what the two or three witnesses were required to be? How be eyewitnesses? For a child, that meant it had to be the parents. In thousands of years of history, you know how many times parents stood as witness before their children for being disobedient? Never. You know why? Because when they stood there and they looked at their child, they couldn't bring about the judgment that was required if they held fast to the law. What did that teach them? Taught them that the law kills and grace brings life. All the way through, the word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder between the thoughts and the intents of our heart, It is alive, and we are able to live by every precept, every concept. 
if we want to take the time to actually understand what's being talked about and what's going on. But you see, they didn't want to do that. They wanted to be just like everybody else. I remember when I was a kid, that's what I wanted. Dad, why can't we just be like everybody else? Why can't we just listen to what everybody else is listening to? Why can't we watch what everybody else is watching? Why can't we do all the things everybody else is doing? Why can't we just be like everybody else? And my dad would always say the same thing. If everybody else was jumping off a cliff, are you going to follow them off a cliff? So we've all repeated that before, right? (laughs) We're not like everybody else because we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be those who really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he gave himself for us. That he has given us his Holy Spirit to strengthen us for a walk and we're supposed to be different. It's okay to tell them that. We're not supposed to be the same. But that was the mark of Israel. Verse 12 it says, For they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. The word for idols in the Hebrew is the word gilulam. Gilulam means dung. You serve dung. So you get an idea. Today, well, we don't have the same kind of idols. Well, they mean the same thing, but we don't really set up a, you know, a fat guy with his hands across his belly and, and pray to him, right? So, so today, our idols may be success. Our idols could be uh, money. Our idols could be power. They just went by different names. Well, the God of success could have been Baal. The God of Ashtoreth, Ashtoreth really pointed to sexual gratification. And the God Molech, he pointed to freedom. I want to be free. A Molech's the one where they offered their children. Has things changed all that much? In our society today? I think God would call it all the same thing. It's all dung. It's all garbage. But you worship it. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets. Every seer saying, turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes. According to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. So he sent them, right? Look, we've read through much of the history, all of the history that there's going to be of the northern tribe. And if you now move forward and you start working your way through the prophets, if you start working your way through Hosea, you start working your way through Amos, you start looking at Isaiah, you start looking at Jeremiah, you start going little by little through the prophets, they're the guys who were talking to these other kings and these kingdoms trying to tell them, walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord and experience the life that God has for you. Step out of the emptiness and the empty promises of some type of other fulfillment and know that it is God who is able to save to the uttermost. But they would not listen. Verse 14 says, Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers. Listen to this phrase. What's it say? Who, what? did not believe in the Lord their God. So what was their issue? They were believers who were a little confused? 
No, they didn't believe at all. They didn't believe. How was their unbelief evident? The unbelief was evident in their life. Their lives never changed. It stayed the same as it always was. When I come to faith in Jesus Christ, He changes me. It may not always be instant, but there is always change. Inside out, things are different. No longer the same, but that was their beef. And so look what it said in verse 15. So they rejected His statues. They rejected His statutes. The, the Hebrew word is ma'as. Ma'as means to hate or despise. Uh, that's an accurate term in terms of how people, how the world views the Bible. How the world views the Christian worldview today. Wouldn't you say? I would think hatred fits in there. Hatred of, of what it stands for and the concepts of it. Well, that's what they were. It says they hated his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves a molded image, two calves, made a wooden image, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. What the Bible says is once you reject the Lord, you will worship everything else. They worshipped the stars, they worshipped the gold calves, they worshipped on the high places. They were happy to worship. They were excited about having some kind of religious system. They didn't have a problem with that. They just had a problem with following the real religious system, the truth. So if there's a being out there, this job, this role, that role currently is to deceive, wouldn't it stand to reason that that's the way it would look? Oh, get out of that. That's crazy. Get out of that. Don't listen to that. Don't, don't be a part of that. Anything else. But don't be a part of that. Well, he goes on says... And they caused their sons, verse 17, they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. They practiced witchcraft and soothsaying and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. In the valley of the son of Hinnom, that's where they would offer their children. The Bible, Jesus described that valley as hell. The place where the fires never stop burning and the worm never dies. Now, if Jesus describes the valley of Hinnom as Gehenna, the, the word from which we get the word hell, does that mean that just occasionally they pass their sons and daughters through the fire? And the kings did it. The Bible says the kings laid their foundation on their children. There was a practice when they built their house to, to build their house and offer their child in the footing of the house as a sacrifice, that their house would be blessed. That was the way life was. These are the things that they did. And, 
And in our world today, we're not all that far removed from it. But one of the things that jumped out of verse 17 to me was they sold themselves to do evil. They're more than happy to do evil. The problem was whether or not to do good. To follow the Lord? No. But to sell themselves for evil. We didn't invent the concept of selling your soul. It says in verse 18, So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. So Judah makes the same mistakes. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, delivered them into the hand of plunderers, until he cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord, and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he had said by all his servants the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kuta, Ava, Hamath, and from Sephavaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. They moved into the houses. They ate to the vineyards that they didn't plant and the fruit that they hadn't, didn't have to harvest. They just enjoyed it all. They just came and found a new place to live. Well, the Bible says, And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them and he killed some of them. So when the, they took all the northern kingdom out and they brought all these other people in, And lions started roaming around and had a problem with lions. They had a problem with lions. Look what the people did. It's kind of interesting. So they spoke to the king of Assyria and said, The nations that you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria, we do not know the rituals of the God of this land. And he has sent lions among us. And indeed they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. So then the king of Assyria commanded and said, Send there... One of the priests whom you brought from there, let him go and dwell there and teach them the rituals of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Isn't that a trip? <laughs> I don't know if that priest was good or bad, had it together or didn't have it together. I just find it interesting that the people had to call out for someone that would bear witness to the true God so that there would be someone in the area that would bear witness to the truth. This is what happened to Samaria. You know in the time of Jesus when they hated the Samaritans? You remember, right? Those are the people. People from all these other places moved to Israel. Then... Israelis, some of the Israelis, they stay. They only take the 27,000 people, all they took captive. 27,000 they took captive. The rest were still there. The poor, they left. The, the people that weren't kings and weren't in politics and weren't a part of anything, they left them. And so they married Babylonians and they mixed together. And what you have today, still in Samaria, is a temple built on Mount Gerizim. 
Mount Gerizim, this temple, almost a replica of the old temple. And still today, right now, currently, morning and evening, there are sacrifices that take place on Mount Gerizim. They're still sacrificing lambs. They still sacrifice Passover lambs. They still are practicing those things. When Jesus came to the woman at the well, you remember what she said? Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. We say you should worship on this mountain. Jesus told her, the Jews got it right. Supposed to worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans twisted up the truth. Over time, it got all twisted up. They only received five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the Bible for the Samaritans. And they still practice it all. This is the beginning of that. This is the beginning of that hatred that that develops between Jew and Gentile. Verse 29 says, However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in shrines on the high places where the Samaritans had made every nation in the city where they dwelt. So they had false gods everywhere. Which ones? The men of Babylon made Sukkoth Benoth. The men of Kuth made Nergal. Nergal is the god of the underworld. The men of Hamath made Ashima. And the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And the Sepharvites, they burned their children in fire to Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sepharvaim. So they feared the Lord... And from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines in the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods, according to the ritual of the nations from among whom they were carried away. What happened? Look, they became what they acted like. Don't you see it? They were no longer separated as God's people. Now, they were just like everybody else. They married everybody else. They had children with everybody else. They still had a concept of the true, but mixed in it was all the false, right? All these other gods that they served, they were still doing the same things. The northern kingdom, Israel, became just like the world they were supposed to minister to. Until you couldn't tell them apart. And they lost all their effectiveness. They were unable to then really be a light to the truth. They became Samaritans. A byword. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. Wrote off, right? Wrote off. To this day, they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow the statutes or their ordinances or the law and the commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, Not to fear 
other gods, nor bow down or serve them or sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, Him you will fear, Him you will worship, Him you will offer sacrifices. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law, the commandments which He wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever. You shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods, but the Lord your God you shall fear, and you will, and He will deliver you from the hands of your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord and served other images, and their children, and their children's children, have continued doing this as their fathers did, even to this day. Until. One day Jesus is headed down to Jerusalem and he looks at his disciples. You remember what he said to them? Hey, I need to go to Samaria. There's a woman there who's an outcast even to the Samaritans. And I have an appointment with her at a well. So the God of the universe came down in flesh, went to Samaria, sat at Jacob's well to meet this woman. And this woman he ministered to, she comes to believe that he's the Messiah. She tells all her friends, there's this little revival takes place in in Samaria. This little revival takes place. And then Jesus leaves and he gets crucified and he dies. He raises again. People see him for about 40 days and... He's gone. Was that it? Well, the Holy Spirit comes on the church at the day of Pentecost, and Jews start getting saved. And then there's this problem in the church, and this problem in the church. So to deal with the problem, the apostles say, find men full of the Holy Spirit and have them deal with this problem. So the men full of the Holy Spirit, they start to deal with the problem. But pretty soon they're not dealing with the problem anymore. Those men full of the Holy Spirit now are walking around town telling people about Jesus and what Jesus had done in their life, and people are getting saved all over the place. One of them's name was Stephen. You guys remember him, right? Stephen. And he gets killed by the same people who killed Jesus. They stone him. But Stephen had a buddy. You remember his name? Philip. You remember where Philip went? Samaria. And what happened when he got there? Oh, revival off the charts, man. People getting saved all over the place, coming to see the power of God in that city. In that place where it said, and their children, and their children, and their children, and their children. (coughs) But God never stopped sending his prophet. God never stopped reaching out with the truth. And on the day when love came, love didn't skip out on that town. The first revival outside of Israel was in Samaria. God did amazing things through there. And that revival spread to you and me. And here we are, more than 2,000 years later, still feeling the repercussions 
of the love of God that will not ever give up. Ever. Even when judgment comes, God never gives up. What does the Bible declare? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, how's it go? Shall be saved. Whoever. No matter what town they're from, or what their parents did, or what they did. That's where we find ourselves. What should we take from this? We should be different. If we are just like everybody around us, then we will become just like everybody around us. But if there's a distinction, if we are different, if the words out of our mouth are really the acts out of our life, if the things we say we believe, if we say we love and we love like God says, then that's going to be evident. If we help like Jesus helped. Well, go ahead. Careful search of the scriptures. Find the person that came to Jesus. Said, Lord, I need a touch. And Jesus said, no. I can think of two. Did he touch him though? Oh yeah, he did. One he said he couldn't give scraps to. But she said, oh, come on. You always give a scraps to your little dog. And Jesus said, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. Touched her. Touched her. Are we like that in our life? People in need? People, I mean, I don't always know how to help people, but I always want to help people. Got to pray for wisdom and know how to help them, but I always want to. There ought to be a distinction. If there's a distinction in our life, then you're a light on the hill and everybody can see the truth of Jesus Christ in you. There's no hypocrisy in that. There's just reality in that. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for an opportunity just to come before you, Lord God, and study your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us just take hold of the truth that your word declares. We pray that you would help us to see, God, that Lord, you're calling us to come out from among them and be ye separate. Not better. We're not better than anybody. We're just supposed to be real. Are we real? Not real in the sense that we can sin and we're okay with it. Real in the sense that we are who we say we are. We follow who we say we follow. We go where he goes. God, I'm so thankful that as we finish the study in this section and we look at the capture of the northern kingdom and the end of Samaria, that you were not finished with that city. You're not finished with our city. You're not finished with us. There is still more to be done. I pray, God, you give us eyes to see how we might be a part of what you're doing. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Steel trap.
of the God of this city, the King of these people, you're the Lord of this nation. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no one like our God. You're the God of this city, you're the King of these people, you're the Lord of this nation, you are. You're the light in this darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless, you are.
Father, that you would continue moving, God, continue developing your people, that we would bear your image, that we would be like you. And we give you praise and glory for what you have done and what you will do. As we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a blessed week.